0: If I can make people think, um, not to change their minds, not to change them as who they are, but if I can make them think, that life is the way it is. Life is difficult. Life has challenges. Life has curveballs that throws you, And the, your response, not the reaction right away, is the, is the key. And it could still be a beautiful life if you decide for it to be. It's not the end of the world nothing is the end of the world.
1: Welcome back to Persian Girl Podcast. Today we're here with Soheila Adelipour, who we're so excited to have on. She just published her book, um, Dancing to the Darkest Light. And... She's gonna talk about it with us today and hear more of her story. And yeah, we and both recently
0: just read her book.
1: Yeah, I read it all of yesterday. It was like one of the most <laughs> Which intense things to me
0: because um, I never thought people would actually read it in one I day couldn't or two put day. it down. That's what I I, I, l- literally, I just, literally couldn't put it down. To me, it's a shocking thing to hear because I never ever thought while I was writing the book that people would actually say, You yeah, know, I stayed up all night to read the book and I want to tell them why. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of
2: feel the same way when people tell us oh my god we binged your entire podcast in one day and I'm like you
1: sat there for hours and <laughs> listened to my voice what yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like really but but the, you never know like do you know what I mean your story touches people in, in ways that do you, like you wrote it for a reason and people connect to it on different levels so like I, I'm I mean your story you also it, it starts off so intense like with, with, with my mom. mother yeah so I guess for all the listeners maybe give a brief <laughs> if, if that's possible, like where you were born, where you grew up, when you
0: came to America. I was born in Iran and uh, I came to United States exactly in 1979 when Shah left. I was there in Iran. When Khomeini came, I was there in Iran. So I saw the whole uh, fiasco that was going on in the streets. Some people were dancing in the streets, which I mentioned in the book. And then two months later I left because uh, I refused to cover my hair and I was still in my regular clothes. That uh, Our regular clothes was exactly what you guys were wearing now, exactly yeah. the way we're dressed now. And they were telling me, khahar I my mean, sister, why don't you cover your hair? And I thought, it's none of your goddamn business. I don't want to cover my hair. And my father got so scared they thought they are going to do something to me. So two and a half months after Khomeini came, I finally left Iran. But I didn't have a visa before that, so I couldn't come to the United States. So that, that's when I, uh, I came to the United States, and then, uh, which was 1979, March, we went directly to New York because my older sister Nahid lived in New York. We didn't know where else to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, we all actually stayed in a small apartment in Scarsdale. And I started going to college, continue with my studying and work as much as I could uh, to make some money on the site. And then I got married the year after. <laughs> and I still went to college.
2: Yeah, no, you t- I think yeah. it's amazing she came to America and found a husband within
0: a year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow! Exactly. <laughs> I we've, been a new, we've been <laughs> here a <our> whole time. <laughs> Funny enough, my my birthday is March twenty first. My visa is March twenty first, nineteen seventy nine. My engagement night was March twenty first, nineteen eighty. Wow, <laughs> that's wow. the funniest I kind of I
1: want to look up those numbers in is numerology. It and yeah. like, huh? No, it no, was exactly. It's the yeah, first night of yeah,
0: yeah. I was born
1: on June twenty oh, first,
0: the first day of summer. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's what happened. And right after that, my sister got married my younger sister got married. And right after that, my older sister. I just think people got married easy. It was easier. People now are more selective and
2: yeah. Also, I feel like for you guys when you came here to meet somebody else that was from Iran it was like oh like it's it's comfort it's someone I know like I want to be with this person but now that like the first generation kids our age are here they're like I want to meet different people and they're exploring different areas so like it takes longer and they're like I don't know what I want and
0: unfortunately when you introduce somebody to someone which I have done many times now we're going off of the subject but I tell them why don't you go go out with this girl and right away the person goes on Facebook or Instagram looks at Uh. the picture oh she's not for me how, How is this shit real? so going hard, for you? But, you know,
2: I've met people in real life that, like, let's say, like, I've been on dating apps. And on the app, I'll be like, oh, oh, my God, look yeah. at them. Ew, like, their picture. Right. Oh, their answers to the questions. And then I've met them in, in real life, and I'm like, wow. Yeah. In real life, I might have given this person yeah. a chance. These it's, apps,
0: these, th- these are Facebook, ruining it. Instagram, yeah. the Facebook it ruins Facebook and Instagram, it's ruining it for people, definitely. Yeah. So because you don't get a chance to actually face-to-face face with the person to feel that you can't that capture you someone's essence yeah, or social exactly. media. it's very judgmental yeah
1: yeah like it's fine people are either better or worse like, yeah like, they're <laughs> either better in person or worse online or vice versa <laughs> yeah. um but with everything that's happening in iran right now i feel like there are some people who don't probably not our listeners but there are some people maybe they're new listeners they don't know that once You know, this was Iran was a hub of culture and art, and you know, uh, Farah Pahlavi herself was a major patron of the art and the arts, and and there was um, the museum, of course. And but I want to hear what was it like before the revolution? Like, could you take us like a day in the life? What you loved about Iran, and like what you know,
0: what like what was special about it? Because I was 18 when I left, Iran was honestly no different than. What you see here now, the clubs where we call it discotheque then. Yeah, it was yeah, not no, called no, My mom still calls <laughs> it that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you I was like, I to the disco. I'm like, no. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I it wish. Kind <laughs> of, it kind of looked like Studio 54 without the drugs because you would never actually see anybody using drugs or anything, at least not in public. Mm-hmm. And um, cigarette, yes, yeah, cigarette was very in. It was a cool thing to smoke cigarettes and the clothing where we were all in very short skirt but the the danger to that was that in Iran at the time of the Shah I don't know if men are still doing it now but they would touch you so they would put their hands in your legs or they would you know pinch you and they, they, as you walk in the street, you had to kind of constantly watch yourself and not to get close to this guy, not to get close to that guy because they would constantly touch you.
2: I know wow. our listeners can't see this right now, yeah. but my eyes are popping out of my yeah. head. I no, can't believe it, they, that was they would, yeah, You would
0: stand on the line to get your ticket for the for a movie, and the guy behind you has her hand <gasps> down your skirt or on your leg, and you had to just turn the around and just you know slap him or something because that was something that they would do but uh yeah that was disgusting honestly that was disgusting but that's what they do (laughs) yeah that's what they did it was part of our uh culture to be always on guard for men that would actually touch you when you're walking down the street or you're online or in the now i get offended
2: if someone sends me a weird dm on instagram (laughs) like but like even that i'm like oh my god i can't believe this guy did this like
0: to go and touch me no 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 no. it was very very normal thing to do nobody would
1: get into trouble I mean I feel that I think like a lot of uh, Persian culture we kind of like house or not like we not normalize like it's just like we accept that like men are just like horny creatures yeah, and like a, we can't control them oh, it's just them. playful and it's it, not
2: harmless or whatever like what no.
1: and they we're like specifically that persian men they just like have a lot more i don't know i i find that like that's kind it, of no thing. it was
0: it was not accepted but it was part of a daily life when you walked in the street wow. that that would happen i mean i was walking with my friend once and uh, and uh, construction worker ran, ran, ran. She had big boobs. She ran and then she grabbed her boobs, boobs with two hands. And then she started yelling and he started laughing and he left. And then she started crying because she was so upset. Two minutes later, his friend ran, 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 ran towards her, (laughs) hold her two boobs in her two hands and then you know, started laughing and squeezing and ran away. What? That kind of a thing happened every day <laughs> you know, What? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that kind of a thing. Wow, American
1: <laughs> listeners, we have it good. Yeah, but now <laughs> I
0: don't calling. think these things are happening with the hijab and the chador oh, and everything that chador else, chador else is God. happening. But then it was the normal thing. However, uh, by the beach, everybody had bikinis on, beautiful bathing suits on. Of course, there were two different, completely there was a duality in Iran. There were the people that lived the life and they would go to clubs and public swimming pools. That was a scene to be in beaches and all these restaurants. And there were people that were downtown that when you, if you went there, everybody was covered from head to toe. So they were living together, but the duality were hundred, was 100% there, 100%. Wow. But this world didn't touch that world, and that world didn't touch the other world. They stayed in their own neighborhood. And religion was not part of anybody's life, those people that are that were living the European life. No, it wasn't part of it.
2: I mean, I always say that uh, growing up, my parents didn't teach me Farsi. They used to speak in Farsi when they didn't want what me did to understand. understand. Yeah. And I started to pick up by myself through like context clues. And until the age of 10, I didn't tell my parents I understood because oh, right. I would want to like, listen to their conversations. <laughs> but one word that I got wrong that I didn't actually understand was um how do you say religious it's um masabi Masabi. i thought it was a curse word when i was growing up because the way persians talk about masabi people which is religious people they say it in such a negative way that growing up i'm like oh it's like a curse it's like to say something bad about someone they're masabi and my mom my mom was like no why do you think that i'm like i don't know just from hearing you guys say it it didn't sound like being religious was a Popular part of the Iranian culture back no, then. No, because the
0: Mashabi now it, uh, are the people that created the revolution. Yeah. So for Iranian people, being Mashabi means that these are the people that were in, that came to power and took everything mm-hmm. away from other people that they were living their lives or the culture or the fashion or the art or the music. Music, mm-hmm. music, simple music. You weren't allowed to have music, to listen to music. So um, mazhabi to us was something that ruined everything for us, uh, for everybody.
1: Yeah, I, so think I guess, a guess a it makes sense all.
2: that yeah. I thought it had such like a negative, negative connotation. Negative connotation,
0: yeah, yeah. Anything, anything uh, that goes to an extreme has a negative connotation to me. Anything extreme. In moderation, it's fine. Extreme is not good. I remember
2: one line specifically in your book when... Um, when you came to America and you were around all these religious people and you said, I don't think they realize how similar, similar the religious yeah. Jews are to the religious Muslims. They're just both extremists. Yeah, exactly. They do different things with it, but they're both extremists at the yeah, end of the day. Exactly. And I agree. I also don't like any type of extremist.
0: Yeah, that's very true. Anything with the ism at the end or is at the end is wrong to me. You do what you want to do and you live your life the way you want to do it, but you do not force it on other people. And you do not, one shall, should not think that this is the way that it should be done because then it becomes a cult in their own brain for themselves. And then yeah. they want to enforce it on other people. So anything with ism or is at the end, You know, to me it's wrong, but who am I to decide for people? You
1: said we weren't (laughs) going to talk about this. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But, I mean, I think it is interesting. Like, I didn't have any family who went through this experience, but you went from one extreme in Iran, and your only way to America was staying with Hasidic Jews. In Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. And... Uh, like your passport was being withheld yeah. and I found that so I was like this is this is what happened to you in Iran yeah. but it was happening here so c- take us through like what that felt like and
0: no it was in a way like that but there was no uh, violence in there yeah like, they wouldn't throw acid in your face obviously and they yeah. wouldn't you know beat you up in the street obviously they would just tell you to read yeah they just that they they told you this is the way it should be It it wasn't a good feeling because because I came to United States, to me, I came here to land of freedom, land of yeah. opportunity. From all that restrictions, I came to America, which in Iran then, America was a dream to everybody. Like, mm-hmm. to me, going to Disneyland was something that I dreamed of. I could not wait to go to Disney. Can I just I've... say
2: I love that you had guys take you on dates Everywhere. to places,
0: at Six Flags. Yeah. didn't Yeah, I? I love this. Yeah, because first of all, I couldn't afford it because I had the dollar to us was so expensive, and then I had no car to go. Anywhere. I didn't know how to go there, so if somebody wanted to date me, you're oh. to Disney. You're going to like Six Flags Great
2: Adventure. Yeah,
0: yeah, that was. I t- <laughs> I definitely took advantage of the situation big time. <laughs> I love that. Oh my god, it's so funny. But, yeah, but if there's a Will there's a way And I wanted to go To this villa And I wanted to go To great adventure Because there was No such a thing in Iran And if the guy Wanted to go out with me that's where he was supposed <laughs> to take me. I think mean, it's so funny. Like,
1: you would meet them at night, and then they would ask for a date, and they were probably thinking, like, a dinner. You and like then you're stay. like, damn, hey,
0: we're going to. And I'm, I'm like, romantic dinner. No romantic dinner. Disneyland, Mickey Mouse. That's what I want to see. <laughs> yeah. I, that would be
1: impossible. These guys, we don't even get dinner, like, let alone uh, to see someone in the morning. I know. It's like <laughs> such a different time. Yeah I, yeah. I just, I think that's really special. Yeah. The, the, that, that.
0: that was Hostigar, then, which is a suitor for those people that they don't speak uh, farsi chastegar it's there's no chastegar now yeah, yeah. no that's situa- true that situation does not exist anymore
1: which like in, in ways it's good and you know we, there's there's pros,
0: and yeah, there's pros yeah there's and definitely pros we, we, pros and we had an
1: episode of the, it was actually the first episode of the season where we talk about which traditions we want to keep and which traditions we kind of want to let go of chastegar um, you wanted to keep
2: no, we No, no. <laughs> I, I think one of the pros is, like, now we get to choose, but then one of the cons is that we're not being chased anymore. Yeah, exactly, no. Because we get to choose, we also have to do the chasing yeah, yeah, now. exactly. So, like, in a way, it's our own revolution that we brought upon ourselves. Like, we wanted this modernism, and then, like, we also have to deal with the yeah. aftermath.
0: Yeah. In my, uh, when I was uh, not married, no, you could not pursue a guy. You could not, because it was not considered ladylike. Yeah, you had to even if you liked so if you somebody, saw a guy yeah, that you liked no, and you would go talk to them but you wouldn't be you know so obvious about uh-huh. it you would just like and hope that the guy would like you and come after you and stuff like that
2: well you once had a guy like fly here from LA like did your friend message like called you after her wedding I like th- yeah yeah for everyone who's listening I'm just mentioning things <laughs> from the book um, I don't know about her whole life I didn't like, yeah, we'll like saw her <laughs> <laughs> it's just from her book um, but your friend called you, and she's like, oh, my mm-hmm. new husband, his friend saw you at yeah, the, the wedding. We're yeah. coming with him all the way from L.A. to go out with you. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, but that, <laughs> but that guy, which is my husband now, lived in New York. It's just that he saw me at the wedding. He didn't say anything that oh, okay. he liked me because I'm always in the middle of the dance floor. So obviously everybody notices me because even if, if the music stops, I'm in my own world dancing mm-hmm. in the middle, so <laughs> people mm-hmm. notice me, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And then when they were when they came to New York, they called his friend, which is my husband now, and they said, "Let's go out to Mm -hmm. dinner." Because he mentioned something at a wedding. Who's this girl? You know, what's her name? How old is she? And they knew that he was interested. So that's what happened. Wow, very old-fashioned way.
1: (laughs) But I mean, it's nice that you you actually like like you bonded.
0: After not the first, hour. no, the first. You, yeah, but I, know think, you said it was I think
1: like it's nice that you but gave
2: but him a chance, though, because I recently had a guy like we matched on an app and like we didn't talk, we didn't meet each other, and then he saw me at an engagement party, didn't come up to me at the engagement party, but messaged me after and was like, oh, like I'd like to take you out, and I was so turned off. I was like, well, you couldn't come up to me right. in person, like you had to do it like after. But, like I like the fact that you gave the guy a chance. Like yeah, you but the, you know,
0: if I were you, I wouldn't even question that. I would say oh, okay that's nice that you you know you're getting in touch with me because it is the sign of the times now yeah, you cannot ignore the fact that the social media and people getting in touch with each other and texting each other. I mean, it's sad, but I text my kids all the time. I don't hear their voice over the phone, which yeah. is what I a mother wants. Phone calls. A, yeah, exactly. Nobody wants to talk on the phone anymore. anymore. Exactly. So. I
2: like phone calls.
0: Uh, I hate phone.
2: I literally let it ring and then I'll text the person five minutes later and one be like, "Oh, I'm so, so sorry, I was yes. in
0: the shower." <laughs> and <Like laughs> you should have said that because now everybody knows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can we cut that out? No. How many showers do you take in a day? 25? I told you 20 <laughs>
1: oh my God. Yeah,
0: Okay, I'm giving you away all my secrets. A, you just gave it away. But I don't, honestly, I don't think it's a, it's a negative thing. If a guy tries to get in touch with a girl any which way, I think that's his way. The reason he did it that way, because he didn't know it or he couldn't do it any other way yeah people have their own insecurities everybody has their own insecurities and you know you, it, nobody's perfect so you should give everybody a chance and I did I mean when I was dating and I dated a lot of pe- people as a hostigar as a suitor but I thought you know who am I to decide and judge people mm-hmm. you know, people could judge me the same way so it, I, and those things never turned me off never turned me off but it's Mm. a different time now I think but I honestly think unless you get to know the person you should not judge them for the small things that they do
2: no you're right it's it's hard because I tell other people that like I tell other people like don't judge someone based on their social media give them a chance meet them and then I find myself judging
0: people it's something that
1: you do without noticing yeah
0: yeah which is wrong which is totally wrong
1: Yeah, I think this (laughs) is unexpected advice, but, (laughs) like, this is something we all need to follow, I think. Um, I, like, lost my question (laughs) in the midst of all the, the dating. Yeah, we go to the dating scene, yeah, that's true. You mentioned in the book that, or was it in the introduction, that you had cut it down yeah, in the introduction. a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I was like, when
2: I first read that part, the amount that you took out, I'm like, oh, my God. like It's so hard to how edit How did you down? manage to condense so much into...
0: I When I uh, started writing the book, I wrote the book because I promised my brother that we're going to write the book together. And my brother said, okay, when when I go home, uh, when I'm well, we're going to write the books together. I said, yeah, because I don't understand. He was a neurosurgeon. And I said, I don't understand the medical terms and everything. So you help me with that one, And I write the funny parts as a joke. And every single time something happened, which was a miracle or disaster, and then another miracle and a disaster, I told him, can you believe this? Can you believe this happened? You know, we should write a book together. I said, of course we're going to write the book together. Wait until I go home. Obviously he didn't go home, and uh, I thought, what's the point of writing the book? Because it's such a sad story. Now who wants to read a sad story? Everybody. I suppose now everybody, yeah, because that's why it's such a big surprise to me, and uh, and I, I Whatever I was doing, if I was driving, if I was waiting online, if I was working out, if I was on a plane, there was a voice in my head that kept on telling me, you know, you should write the book, and you should write the book. And I thought to myself, it's so difficult to go, because if he had survived, it would have been such a happy thing to write about everything that has happened, and this is the result, he's sitting right there. Like a happy ending. Happy ending, yeah. And uh, and I decided that... uh, if I can imagine, which I always do, um, as I always say, whenever something is difficult for me to do, and I don't know if I should do it or not, I imagine myself in my deathbed and with long white hair (laughs) and lots of wrinkles, and I think to myself, because there's no way going back at that point, because... It's the end of your life. How sorry would I have been if I hadn't done what I could have done when I had the opportunity to do it? And I honestly put myself in that situation. I saw I, I would be very, very sorry. So I thought, okay, it's difficult. I'm going to do it, but it's done. And uh, I started writing. Honestly, I just started. I took two classes in creative writing, and then I started writing. I just started writing. I had no idea how much I was writing. Because so much has happened, and it starts in Iran at the time when my mom was a midwife and all those honor killings, and as I call my Argo chapter, because it sounds very much like the movie Argo, And, um, and from there to us landing in the United States with no money and then, you know, going on through life. So much has happened that I kept on writing, and I kept on writing, and then when it was done... I looked at it, and I counted the words with the computer. And I was like, what? It's almost 570 pages. And I Googled before, and the book shouldn't be more than 350 pages. God forbid, unless you're Harry Potter, then nobody would buy your book. (laughs) So I I had to cut down, which was very, very difficult, because all those stories that I wrote were very important to me. Otherwise, I wouldn't have. And I had to cut them down. How long did it take? To, like, how long was this process of writing? For writing it took me five years. Not because I sat behind the computer for five years. It's because it was so difficult to get myself emotionally yeah, ready. Yeah, that's and, what I. That's yeah, what I was to go and to sit behind out. that lap, you know, it's computer. Really hard. It's really Very draining. Honestly, draining. And uh, sometimes it took me two weeks to get, finally, to get myself close the bedroom door and sit behind the computer and write. And then I would cry and write, cry and write. Yeah, uh, you, everything's so in detail. It's like going through it all, yeah, over, all the time. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, And honestly, that's why I thought, okay, I wrote the book at the end, and I did as I promised. Who wants to read a book like that? And I gave it to an editor to, she was a Yale professor, kind of snobbed me and uh, I gave her a good amount of money to do editing for grammar and punctuation because I'm not a writer, obviously. I was a storyteller. And then she, she kind of, can I meet you? No, I'm too busy. Can we have a cup of coffee? No, I don't think so. You know, I'm here just to edit your book. We're not here to be friends. Yes, but I would like to meet with you. No, I don't think so. And finally, yeah. after two months, I got this email from her that she was raving about the book. I honestly, I kept on reading and I said, is she talking about my, are you talking to me? <laughs> are you talking to me? And she said, you made me laugh, you made me cry. It was sad, but it was inspirational. I look at life differently. Now, I, if I have a problem, you know, I, I look at it from the point of view that you're looking at it. And not only it made me laugh out loud, you know, you made me cry. And it was a great book. More, pa- And I'm thinking... She snobbed me for two months, and now no. she's reading So then I thought, maybe it's not such a bad book. And then I gave it to my first son, Justin, to read it. It's and a great wrote. book, by the way. <laughs> 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 Thank it's you awesome. for read it in 24 hours. And my kids are my <laughs> best critics, and we, I always tell them, even if I speak wrong English, I always tell them to correct me yeah. because then otherwise, how would I know? And my son told me, mom, it's a very good book. It's very well done. I couldn't put it down. And I thought, okay, two people, maybe that's a sign. And then, you know, whoever read it liked it. And to this day, to this moment that you two girls are sitting over here, I'm surprised.
1: I'm studying literature also. I don't know if people on the podcast know this. So, like, (laughs) my life is, like, reading books and writing. And, like, I'm constantly getting critiques on my writing from my professors. And... I, I just I found your writing really captivating thank like you. of course you have a story but like it's, it's I guess it like shocks me that this was over the course of five years because there's so much consistency and I felt like I lived your like I, I felt like I was there oh, thank you
0: um, I what I did that I decided to do everybody told me it's too, too much for you you should get the ghostwriter to write it for you give them the story and and I said, no, I was there every day and it has to be my voice.
2: Yeah.
0: I don't care how long it's going to take. I don't care how difficult it is. It has to be my voice. And um, people tell me, people that know me, they tell me it is my voice. And I think whatever you do in life, that you l- let your heart just decide for you and the language and everything comes from your heart. Because it comes from your heart, it sits on everybody's heart. That's what I think. And that book is a... It's a good example of that. I just wrote how I felt. Seriously, honestly, how I felt. And I was not politically correct anywhere. I said (laughs) it the way it was. Yeah, but that's what I love the most. I
2: don't want to read a book where someone's stepping... Like yeah. tiptoeing around, around. everybody's yeah, feelings. exactly. You said how you felt. It's not about anybody else. Yeah,
0: and I didn't think people in the community are going to read about my family. And it's a bad thing now because I said it exactly the way it is. I talked about my father, our situation when we left Iran. I said it the way it is. And I, and I didn't care if somebody judges me because I think that uh, people that mind... It, they don't matter. It doesn't matter to them. And people that matter, they don't mind. So, you know, I don't need to have everybody as my friend. If I have my good friends around me, and am As long as I'm true to myself, I'm I'm okay with it. And then the last chapter is the chapter that I thought, if after everything that has happened to me, if people get a little bit out of the last chapter, and if I can make them think. Then my job is done. The juice of the
1: yeah, I mean, the that's what so, that's what great art does, just to make you think. I forgot why I heard that. But, yeah, if um,
0: I if I make make people think that there's other ways of looking at life and looking at problems and looking at tragedies and looking at difficulties. You know, there it's not the end of the world. It, life goes on. Nobody promised you ever happy ever. You know. What is the word they use?
2: Happy ever left after. You yeah,
0: uh, nobody ever promised you that. You make the best of what you have, and that's that's all in your hand. I think what was what caught me with the book as well
1: was, and there's no really easy way to get into this, was that not only were there tragedies, but they were kind of different. There were different tragedies, and there were one is of course like a premature death. And that's a different kind of response. Um, and then, and then there's the longer ones, oh yeah, which exactly. and those weren't timely either. But I mean, you you were like there were parts where I think it was your um, other son's bar mitzvah, yeah. and your sister's like at this point, she's her health is getting worse, and she comes to you, like and she makes a comment, and you and I can't believe you wrote this, but I th- like that's
0: was was so real, and I. Yeah, because to this day, it bothers me that I have said that. But I, I keep telling myself that, after all, I'm human. Yeah. You know, and uh, I have emotions, and uh, I cannot always be in control as much as I try to control, not control, but I I demand my emotions to be uh, in my, uh, as my employees. Because they're, I'm the one... That should master that. They cannot take over me, my emotions. That's how I believe it. It's not easy, but it could be done. Definitely not easy. And if they cannot, and I always say, if my emotions cannot follow what I demand, then I fire them. The, at that day, they're fired. They cannot be there. They cannot be where I am. Those emotions, they cannot be fired if they cannot. as I have demanded. And and not that I don't get sad, not that I don't cry. I actually do. But I do it for a short while. And then like a dog that gets wet, I get up and I shake myself from it. Mm -hmm. And I change the channel, change the station of where I listen to good music or I go out and... I meet friends because um, I know that's a vicious cycle to stay in there. Unless I want to act like a victim and feel sorry for myself, there is no other reason why I should let those negative emotions take over. Unless I invite them and I let them stay, I can I can easily tell them to get the hell out of here, <laughs> I <laughs> which
2: wish, I do. I wish I was like that. I wish like I feel it's like practice. a lot of the time I don't. I avoid talking about certain things in public because I hate showing emotion in public, and I literally can't control, like, what comes out of my eyes. Like, I'm just going to start, like, tearing up. Because I'm a lot like my mom, like, that. When, she, when my mom was reading your book, like, during my lunch break, she would just call me crying. She's like, oh, my God, Natalie, I can't handle this. Like, she, she's very emotional. She's a but very there's emotional nothing person.
0: wrong with it. I do my crying. I do, I do have my moments that I'm very down and very depressed. I don't let them stay. Every guest. Okay, if you have a guest in your house, how long would would you let them stay? Not forever. I mean, there's always a time limit. The guest tells you, I'm coming for three days a week. One day, can I sleep over tonight? At one point, they have to leave. So why you demand the same thing from your emotions and from your feelings. They're there for a while, but they're not going to stay. Because if they stay... They're going to take over your whole life. they going to take over your whole life. Your life is going to be very uncomfortable. Very, very uncomfortable. It's not your life anymore. It's your life with somebody else that's constantly, every single day, is, is affecting it. And it's, it, it upsets you. It, the bathroom is not clean. The couch is not good. The, the, they leave the dishes. It's annoying. It's frustrating.
2: I, I have a question. I don't know if it's, like, too personal or, like... For your own personality, like, do you feel like you care less about these tiny things that you used to care about? Like, if something yeah. small used to bother you and yeah. get you pissed off and get you angry, do you feel like you really care less after everything that's happened? Do
0: you feel like I? It's funny enough that I thought I do care care less about those things, and I think I do. But at Shabbat dinner last night, <laughs> one of the relatives actually, uh, because I had a fundraising for my son last week, a Khalis Suske thing. Mm-hmm. And they had bought their own tickets. It's a close relative. And I had the first five rows as VIP. And this close relative came to me and he was upset that he was not sitting in the first two rows. But they had bought their own tickets. They never, and I called them and I said, I have good seats for you in the front, but those are VIP seats. I said, no, we're fine there. But when the person came there and they saw that the friends are sitting in the first two rows, I suppose the ego got scratched. And he said something very nasty to me last night. And I kept, since last night, I kept telling him, I said, you're above that. You shouldn't let that comment bother you. But it did bother me.
2: Of course, you're still human. Yeah,
0: but it did bother. I don't allow it to take over.
2: Yeah.
0: But it did bother me. What am I going to do about it if I'm going to call him and tell him, listen, what you said was not fair? That's my decision. But I'm going to sleep on it for three, four days to see how much more it's going to bother me. It does bother me, but I don't let it take over
2: I think that's the smartest thing Um, that's something I need to get into because I'm a very harsh person in the sense that when I'm angry I'll say things in the heat of the moment that I really don't mean and one thing that's like part of like maturing and growing up is taking time to sit on your feelings and see how you feel after a day or two and then getting back to them being like okay this is how i want to respond to this person it's honestly i need to work on it's
0: it's not a good idea to say whatever you want when you're angry because nothing good comes out of it yeah i'm learning that (laughs) actually i told my son last night answering people back and fighting with them nothing approving them prove them wrong nobody wants to be proved wrong. yeah You have your opinion, let the person have their opinion. You don't need to prove that that you you know better or you're right. Nothing positive comes out of it. Nothing. You just... Go about your life and let them go about their life. You shouldn't be a Velcro that whatever there is it sticks to you as you walk because mm-hmm. after a while, it's just uncomfortable. I like that. Don't be Velcro. <laughs> don't be a Velcro. <laughs> yeah, don't be a Velcro, honestly. You have to be beautiful silk. Yeah, just, just like, off, off of you. From, exactly. Don't be a Velcro. Don't let it stuck to you.
1: Well, the, this past season we've had a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists reach out to us we've already interviewed a couple throughout the podcast and some of them they themselves will say uh you know I suffered with depression or something like that but I personally don't like taking medication but then they you know part of their job is prescribing people um with medication and we talk about, like, our mental health a lot as well. And and the Persian community's lack of effort
2: in regards to mental health and how a lot of Persians just brush uh, it
0: off. Okay, mental health is a different issue. Somebody that's depressed over an issue is a different. Yeah. yeah. So uh, prescribing medication to balance off somebody that's a mental issue that obviously there are, it's not the way it's supposed to, and they have to take the medication to put every
2: chemical, chemical in the
0: in the right place. Exactly, it's different than somebody that is just depressed because things are not going their way. As I as I always say, your your, your uh, culture, your age group is uh, very much uh, pleasure based and ego identified. That's always uh, an instant looking gratification. For instant gratification, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. So instant I think gratification. someone called this like the
2: microwave generation. That we just want that like well, quickly instant heat up. Yeah, yeah.
0: and it, I feel and I always tell my kids, I feel sad for you because uh, it's not normal to be like that. It's not normal to constantly wanna have the things that give you pleasure and uh, you know boost your ego. It's not. World does not work like that. And because we're living in a country that happiness is everybody's right which is not (laughs) (laughs) you have the right to be happy who said the right to be happy who said everybody's supposed to be happy also
1: happiness isn't really a destination i think that's like a a very very
0: and because young people think oh They're not happy because they didn't get the thing that they were supposed to get, and so they're unhappy about it. And the feeling that, oh, why am I unhappy? I'm not supposed to be unhappy. So they get depressed because they're unhappy about being unhappy, and then the thing goes on and on. And they, 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 and they're, they, they think that it's the right. So they feel more, you know, uh, that um, what's the word when you want something entitled? uh, Entitled, yes. They feel more entitled and it becomes uh, honestly a disastrous case. So then right away they go to, to a psychiatrist because they're after all they're depressed and they're not supposed to be depressed and unhappy. And the doctor gives them Xanax, and which I opened the chapter with Xanax because we were on Xanax. Yeah, on so that's what I was you trying o- to do. You get.
2: opened the book with so many things that just like grabbed people's attention, like the whole thing. The with way the Xanax, you went back and forth yeah. also, like I have to
1: come like, in. Look for if for someone Thank who's saying, like, oh, I'm not a writer. Like you went back, especially like even towards the end, like all of a sudden we're back, and like the way you related stories was right. Thank you. It was very Persian Thank actually, because like that's how Persian
0: conversations Thank go, you. In but a way, I think that just giving medication, and I always say it in my book signings, which I want to say it here too. Um, I read somewhere a story about lobsters. Lobsters, when they're born, the the lobster inside of the shell, of course, is a baby lobster. And after a while, the lobster inside gets bigger and the shell becomes tight for them. And they're uncomfortable and they're in pain and they don't know what to do. So the lobster goes under a rock, comes out of the shell, stays there until it creates a new shell that fits him, and then comes out again. And after a while, the same thing happens. The, the shell is small and the lobster is uncomfortable and in pain, and it keeps on doing that until somebody catches the poor lobster and eats it. But the, 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 the story is, the, the way I look at it is that if that lobster, in the lobster world under the water, if there was a lobster clinic, they would give him Xanax or antidepressant, and they would say, Take these pills. And stay in the shell that doesn't stay, in, stay there, don't worry about it. These pills are gonna take care of it. Just take the pills and you're gonna be fine. Now, the lobster is still in pain. It's cramped in there. The difference is that now, because the lobster is sedated, it cannot think what's wrong with me that I'm so uncomfortable. And so as a result, it's, it's not gonna do anything. It's just gonna get more and more uncomfortable. But because he's under the medication, he wouldn't do anything about it the the way he saved himself is that he changed and that's the the, the change that the word change that we use every single day change your clothes change this change that. it's a very small world that we use it every day but a small key can open huge doors too the the the, the key to this conversation is that when things happen you have to change accordingly. Because the only thing that changes all the time is change. Change is always there. Mm-hmm. And if you want to be stuck in your old ways and you think, oh, why is my life like this? Why did this happen to me? Instead of why, if you don't do something about it, then you're going to be in that lobster in that s- small shell that's bothering you and you do not understand what's Because you just rather die than change. Yeah. the world, if, Well, the honest- you don't
1: feel the pain, then you don't know where... Yeah, like you don't know how to target, you don't know yeah, how, you yeah. how to Yeah, you're go just about numbing it. the pain.
0: Yeah, you're just numbing the pain. Well, then there's a difference between like
2: psychiatry and psychology and like trying to go to someone to help change you as opposed
0: to just taking pills to like yeah. numb what whatever's happening. Yeah, and now it now it's very common. They have to, I understand the pharmaceutical companies, they are pushing the doctors to give medication to people because they have a quota that I suppose they have to fill because I don't understand why they push it so much. Uh, I was on antidepressant for about seven, eight months after I lost my son, but I did not feel anything. Honestly, I was on a sofa day in, day in and day out, day out. I didn't, I sacrificed, not feeling at all for the fact that I didn't cry anymore, but I didn't feel anything either. I didn't feel anything. And after a while, I thought, what kind of a life is this? I'm just existing. This is, I'm not living. I'm just existing on a couch. And I do what I have to do. I go to the supermarket and I come back. So I stopped and I did some research. And I understood that when you take antidepressant, it just creates endorphin in your head. So if I go to the gym and I work out really with cardio that I sweat a lot, I create the same endorphin. Okay, I was, it didn't happened right away. It took me a month and a half until I actually stayed in one class for an hour. But now exercise is part of my everyday. Instead of taking medication I do that. And I start my day like that. So I'm I'm against numbing your pain. Nothing good comes out of it again. You have to face your problems you have to take care of your problems and then uh, when it's taken care of put it aside and go on just change change accordingly do what it's needed and move on
1: i'm just amazed like at the resilience you show because it's it's so hard to like to say that to say oh well i looked it up and i heard working out does the same thing and like of course so many people know that but they don't do that and i just I don't know, maybe you were just, like, born with this gift that, like, somehow you were able to wake up in the morning and tell yourself, like, I need to go do that. Like, this is what's good for me. Um, and so many people struggle with finding that, I think. But, like, one of the reasons I brought up drugs was that, you know, when you when you first... Found out about the loss of your son. Your brother came and he said, "You need to be calmed down." But but when you take it for a week or however long, ten days, like there are some really serious side effects. And I know so many people who they just became
0: addicted. Yeah. And I was curious, like, what that process was like after. My brother that gave me the medication told me, "I'm just giving it to you for two weeks, and after two weeks, you're going to be hooked." Yeah. So the first two weeks that you're in the shock of this. Huge loss, you need it. You need it, just take it. And I and I wrote it in the book, I don't even take aspirin. Honestly, yeah. I don't even take aspirin. And now I take Xanax. I mean, I've never smoked in my life. I mean, I have a very boring yeah. love. You it, had the best liver, <laughs> <laughs> I had the best liver. Yeah, <laughs> never smoked. I hardly drink because I don't see why one should drink and be out of control and make a fool of himself in front of everybody else, and the next day feel. The crowd. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I honestly don't get it. (laughs) But um, I trusted my brother. I trusted my brother because uh, he was not just any doctor. He was my brother. So I took it for two weeks. And after two weeks, he didn't give it to me anymore. And then when it was this 30th day, he gave me like a couple of them. And he said, you're okay taking it here and there because of your situation, but not more than two weeks in a row. And that's why... And because I don't have an addictive personality, I think, or I'm just scared of being addicted to anything, I easily put it aside. Okay. Just when my brother was in the hospital himself, as I wrote in the book, because we couldn't sleep at night, because I needed my energy the next day to take care of him, I needed to sleep. So I, once in a while, I took half. And I always took half. I didn't take the whole pill. But because I thought I needed... The, the the right ammunition for for that battle. So to take on the next day. I didn't take it for selfish reasons because, oh, I don't want to feel this pain. No. I sat down and I did my calculations and I thought, I need to survive this and I have to be able to sleep at night. And I cannot sleep at night. So I'm going to take this and sleep at night. Yeah. So the next day I could be there for my brother. But I never took it more than like a week or two weeks. Or one one here, one there. Right. However, it helped. it helped, But I, I, refu- I, I was very aware of the fact that I could be hooked on that and that's why I took it the way I took it. And then since then I don't, I have not taken any.
2: The first time I took a painkiller, I was so nauseous the entire yeah, exactly, day. Exactly, exactly. For the rest of the seven days, I suffered through intense, intense pain because I threw out the rest of, they gave me Oxycontin. I threw it all in the garbage. I couldn't handle the nausea, Nadia. and I was like, "How do people, people take, it, take exactly, it? How do exactly. people keep taking it? How do they get addicted to it?" It's, yeah. To me, it was crazy, but it's very common.
0: It's especially and it in makes America. them constipated. Yeah, oh, I don't so understand bad. how they would deal with that. Oh to be constantly constipated. <laughs> no, I, I after my liver surgery, they wanted to prescribe also painkiller, and I told him, "I'm not gonna. You can do as you wish because I know you have to." Just fill up your quota, but I'm not going to take it. And I said, but you're going to be in pain. I said, I don't care. I'm not going to take it. And I didn't yeah, take it.
2: I was the same way. Like, the pain, I think, was less bad than bad. the nausea. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Was,
0: the nausea was horrible. I couldn't exactly. move. Exactly. I did not take one pill after my liver transplant surgery.
2: But I, I feel like liver transplant is way more intense than what I had. Like, I don't know how you dealt with that pain. I hear it's very difficult. It's,
0: um, it's very uncomfortable because the layers of the thing that goes inside, it's very uncomfortable feel it wasn't even pain that bothered me. It was a, it was just a disgusting feeling inside of me that I couldn't understand what it was, because I suppose because the liver was regenerating itself. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, it's just that I kept on putting a pillow on my stomach and pressed it in because I didn't know what else to do with it. It was, ugh, it was an uncomfortable feeling that was happening in my gut. Yeah. But thank God, no, my liver is back to ninety-five percent. It's not just the same shape as your liver. My liver is an odd shape. It's, it's very designer. It's oh, yeah. unique. <laughs> it's, odd, it's one it's, of the kind. Yeah, it's limited <laughs> edition <laughs> because it grows wherever it finds room. So it's, it's just. I'm sure it's just an odd shape. It's as I said, it's limited edition. Yeah, very. It's a unique. good way to look yeah, at it. Yeah, very unique <laughs> liver I have. <laughs>
1: um I think like also your sense of humor is something that like you know we see a lot in the book um for people who hopefully you guys will read it as well and we'll put the link in the description of the podcast but is that do you think like your humor is something that like you kind of knew how to bring it back when like each time another tragedy stuck struck like do you think you just got I don't know, like it's do you feel like you learned no, more each time no, or do honestly, you feel like I had
0: since I was a little kid my parents tell me that I had a sense of humor and in odd places it comes out. I mean, honestly, in odd places. Yeah, no, in the book,
1: like you started making jokes at the worst time. I'm like, wow.
2: I mean, right, I feel like I th- understand that because I laugh when I'm nervous. Yeah. Like, sometimes if, if I even go for like a doctor's appointment and they're touching me in an area that makes me nervous, I start to laugh. Yeah. And the doctors look at me like I'm crazy. They're like, are you okay yeah. you need a moment? I'm like, no, I'm fine, just ignore me. And I'm like hysterically laughing. They're like staring at me they're like it's really hard to ignore (laughs) you when you act like that but (laughs) I wanted to mention that in the beginning of the book you talk about the different personalities of each of your siblings and when you're little you can already see the personality and I took one psych class in high school like such a long time ago but one thing we learned about was nature versus nurture, mm-hmm. that some psychologists believe that you're already born with your personality. Yeah. Some people believe you're raised into your personality. Some people believe in both. So I believe in I both. Think both. And I, I think I think it's 50-50. You, yeah. so. you honestly, out of all your siblings, had the most hardship personally, but I feel like because you were born with that personality, you were able to deal with it better than they would have been able to deal yeah, with it. Yeah,
0: that's what, that's what they say. That's what they agree. That's, that's, what, uh, that's how it looks, that's how it looks because I bounce back right away because I think, uh, as Nietzsche said, if you have a why to live for, then you deal with any house. Yeah. And once those things happened, I thought, okay, the past is in the past. It's no more. As difficult as it might sound, it's no more. And future is not yet. As it, as when. I lost my son. I never thought after that all these tragedies are going to happen. I mean, how would I even think about it? So if if I if I'm between no more and not yet, then I just have to be here and enjoy every day that I have and enjoy the why's that I have in my life and not the why nots. And I remind myself every day. I I honestly as just like going to the gym, I practice that every day. <coughs> Sorry, that I should live for the why's in my life and not the why nots. The why-nots are gone. It's in the past. And every minute that we think uh, that we want this in future, our future, every second that we step in the future, it has become the past already. It's nothing Mm -hmm. but the past extended future. The minute you get to your future, it's past already. So what's the point? It's... It's, if you l- really look at it, it's a funny thing. You think, in future this, in future that. in future becomes your past right away. So. <laughs> so you might as well just have now that enjoy what you have now and appreciate what you have now. And I think the most important thing is your youth and your health. It's uh, health first. Um, like when I live in Los Angeles, and when the fires were getting close to my house, and they told us they might... Evacuate us! I had my passport and the paperwork in my car, and I was looking at the fire from the window. And I thought, okay, if this house goes on fire, I looked around and I said, I had a good run here. It was a nice house. I have good memories. If it goes, it goes. As long as everybody around me is ha- healthy, I'm okay with it. And I honestly was okay with it. I didn't reach my house, but I, yeah. I was okay with that fact.
1: A lot of people. Live who maybe haven't had the experience the same tragedies, they don't think they're able to think that way. And I think that's what I love about your book, is that you do find this, like... I don't know, it kind of sounds insensitive, but it's just like this is a natural reaction, that you find, like, a newfound
0: appreciation for things, and, you know... Yeah, unfortunately. Like, these little things. In a wrong way, for a wrong reason. That's very true. But I realize now, when... uh, which I always finish my book signings with one sentence at the end, that a healthy person has a thousand wishes. The sick person has only one. And three of us that are sitting over here and talking, we were granted that one wish. So we have our own one wish already, that that sick person's biggest wish is that. So what else do we want? We just have to appreciate... Every day and what we have, and just go on with our lives, and don't don't sweat the small things. Just enjoy your. Don't 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 think it's the end of the world because nothing is in the end. Even if you think it's the end of the world, it's not the end of the world. The world has been there, and you're not killing time. Time is killing you, basically. <laughs> it's honestly, time has been there all these billions of years. It's going to be there for another billions of years and you're just a passerby. And one should not take themselves so seriously. Billions of us have been here. Another billions of us are going to be here. And if we don't take ourselves so seriously and we go about life the way we should, you know, the life is beautiful. Uh, there, there's a lot in life that you could enjoy and appreciate and see I, I see a sunrise, I, I mean, my Instagram pictures, they're all flowers, they're all nature. I'm in, in flower and nature, because to me, that's God. I see that, and I see that beauty that nobody else, no money in the world can replicate the huge ocean. To me, that's where God is. And uh, do I have answer for life? I do not have answers for how life works. Because it's like asking a fish, what's an ocean? The fish can look around himself as much as he wants, but it will never answer you what an ocean is, even though he's living in the ocean. It's the same with us. Do we have answer for life? We don't. Do we, do we, do we, could we have an answer? Well, no, we won't. Because our minds cannot understand that. But one thing for sure, do you have a choice to enjoy what life has given you at this moment? If you're healthy? Yes. But how
1: long like did it take for you to arrive at this? Like did you struggle? I with yes,
0: this? I did struggle after I lost my uh, brother because I thought um, I was the one who was supposed to save him and I failed him. And I had a difficult time not only to deal with his passing, I had a difficult time dealing with the fact that I was the only thing that could save my brother, and as he called me, I was his insurance policy, and I failed. And I thought the joke was on me. But after a year, I woke up one day and I thought, what's the point? What's the point of... I'm missing out on every other beautiful thing that's around me, such as the rest of my family, such as my kids, such as my granddaughter. And... I decided, you know, what's in the past, it's in the past. It's finished. And you can't blame yourself? Sometimes I still do, but not all the time. Yeah. Yeah, because he counted on me, and we were very, very, very close, my brother and I. Very close. And when I told him that I'm 100 percent, he told me that I'm 100 percent match, and the rest of the siblings were zero. He said, I had no doubt that you and I we were a hundred percent match. And knowing my brother was to love my brother. He was he was an exceptional guy. Not only good looking, as you can see in the pictures. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very, very good looking. <laughs> Dr. McDreamy at I Wait, I watch song. Song. I'm <laughs> watching I'm watching Anatomy right now. <laughs> right. And
2: I was actually thinking
0: about Dr. McDreamy when he I was, was reading Dr. the book. Dr. McDreamy at Linux Hill <laughs> Hospital. <laughs> But I, yeah. I I think that if if they're watching us, they would if they could talk to us, that's what they would tell me. They would want you to be happy. They would want me to be happy, yes.
2: They're gone no matter what. Yeah. You you can't exactly. change that. No,
0: I cannot change that. And I I realize that. And that's why I lose myself in nature. I still dance at parties. I'm the last one who would, you know, leave the dance floor and I I laugh about things, and I enjoy things because life is short. I love that. I think, like, a lot of Persians, I hate to say this, but they
1: think, like, if you've had tragedies that like you shouldn't enjoy you should just no because be they, they want to feel
0: like a victim so they get attention i'm like but i simple. love that you're also, like also i'm I feel gonna like they still do it because
2: i think they need to put on a show yeah they, they feel like they, people, yeah. won't they happy. Happy. people won't people believe people say, can not believe this person's happy yeah, yeah uh, they no. don't no. want they well, she don't care she doesn't care. have a heart yeah
0: she doesn't have a heart. And that's
2: so disgusting that's like or, what
0: are you supposed to do exactly or you want to feel like a victim because if you're a victim you get attention and people want attention
1: and you get to distract your feelings with the
0: different yeah. kind of... And who else? I mean, everybody's coming to you and feel sorry for you, pay attention to you. They come and visit you. And what's wrong with that situation? Everybody wants to be noticed and pay. You know, get attention. But after a while, it becomes a drug. And then they cannot put it aside. They keep on acting like a victim to the point that people get tired and just leave that person. Versus me or my mother. My mother is 90 years old now that... My friends want to hang out with my mother. They want to go out to lunch with her because she lost two kids in one year and she's 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 never negative and bitter about it. And she tells us, "Go dress up, go put makeup on, go to a party, go on a trip. Why don't you do?" You know, and my if she was the kind that would victimize herself, nobody wanted to be around her. But all my yeah. friends want to be with my mom. So her life is full because of that. She's invited everywhere. So it's it's a win-win situation, but people, unfortunately, do not realize that. They think if they act as a victim, they get more attention. They don't realize that. The other way around, it's a better way.
1: I wanted to just end with the story that you start in the beginning of your book with, um, with your mother. She was a midwife yeah. in Iran, and I was i i just i feel like we have to in case like no one reads this like i want to say it now because this was like it amazed me so this was in the middle of the night and your parents are woken up by i guess like a very religious iranian you know father and he brings his wife and his daughter and i was like confused it was all happening so fast but i guess she was already covered in blood he had beaten her. And and wrapped her in a carpet, in a carpe- like re- really was like yeah. really that was. Yeah. It sounds. I like just I like, can't believe it that. Like movie. Yeah. I can't believe that. But and with so machete, with the machete, like so, Okay, so to I had to top say it out loud to make sure, like what I read was real. Yeah, I can't believe that. And then, so after that, uh, or do do you want to tell it maybe?
0: No, uh, well, you said it, and the the girl, the the fourteen year old girl, was all bloody wrapped in a carpet, <coughs> and the family brought it. The night of her wedding, she was not a virgin because she didn't believe. So uh, they brought her to my mother to see if she was actually Allah, the God had made her like that, or she had slept with somebody else. And my mom uh, had to lie and say that, uh, you know, she was naturally like that, and she hadn't slept with anybody else. But the poor girl was being raped by by her uncle for many years, and she was too scared to say it. And now the husband, because... She was not a virgin at the night of her wedding. She wanted to kill her because to cut her throat because that's the honor killing. That's what they did. And my mother basically saved uh, saved the girl. Which she had a lot of stories like that. I took out actually many stories like that. The other story that is very interesting is that I took out of the book. No, is, I wanted to hear. that. Yeah. <laughs> my mom. Uh, a, a woman came with a fifteen-year-old girl to my mom's uh, office. Uh, because she was a midwife, and she said, I don't understand why my daughter's crying day and night. She's crying, and she, she doesn't eat, she doesn't do anything, and I want to chew because for the religious Muslim people, going to a male doctor was definitely a no-no. Yeah. The male doctor cannot touch a girl. So my mom was its doctor to go to. So, and my mom examined the girl, and she realized that the girl was uh, four months pregnant. How old is she? 15? Fifteen. Fifteen.
2: Well, to be fair, my grandma yeah, had exactly. my yeah her first kid. Well, normal teeth, thing, yeah. yeah.
0: So and then uh, my mom asked her, "You're pregnant. They gonna kill you? You know they gonna kill you if they find out you're pregnant." She said, "Well, I was in love with this boy, and she said he's gonna marry me, and I'm pregnant now. I don't know what to do." And my mom said, "Okay, don't worry about it." So she came out and she told the parents that were obviously not educated at all, probably illiterate. She told them that your daughter has a very severe condition. She has a tumor in her stomach, in her belly, that's growing every month. And it's a very dangerous tumor. You have to bring her here every month. So we measured the tumor to make sure that when it's ripe, we take it out. We cannot take it out before it's ripe. It has like a fruit from a tree. It has fall by itself. And they bought it. They bought it. So what? they brought the girl every month to the doctor, to my mother. And finally, <clears throat> when, when the stomach, my mother examined it, they did the C-section and they took the baby out. And there was a nurse working with my mother for about 10 years that couldn't get pregnant. So they took the baby out. They gave it to the nurse. The nurse wrapped the baby in a blanket and left from the back door. And they sewed the girl up again, and they gave it back to the parents, and they said, the tumor is out, and your daughter is perfectly fine. You don't have to worry about it. So by doing that, my mother saved the 15-year-old girl, saved the baby, made a life for the baby, and the nurse that didn't have a baby, now she was a mother. And <laughs> She saved, she changed so many lives just by doing that. These things sound like they're out of a movie. Movie, like, but it's happen. all true story. They're all true story. It's so crazy. And I always wonder, where's that baby? I always <laughs> <laughs> wonder what happened to that baby. Yeah, you now know, I'm wondering. Yeah. Maybe your mom needs a separate <laughs> midwife so, yeah. Tales. <laughs> so a lot of uh, crazy stories like that. No. The, uh, this story I actually took out of the book. Because to make it smaller.
2: Yeah. I think it's funny. I see with you that you, like, you pass by people and then years later you'll, like, wonder what happened to them. Because you also wrote in the book, when you were on the street at the time of the revolution, you saw a man that was dressed nice. He wasn't like all the other men that had, like, disgusting ragged beards that were, like, fighting for um, Khomeini. I honestly have his face in front of me. Very well dressed. he was dressed really well, well in like Italian clothes and his son was on his shoulders and you were saying I wonder does he still look as good is, still, is he still as happy, happy did his life turn out how he expected it to be and the answer is probably definitely not no, no. most of the people who fought for Khomeini I think today are kicking themselves Sensei, in the face exactly. and saying what the hell did I do yeah look at what the did situation I do now yeah
0: look at the situation now. and
2: I think about that now like a lot of kids our age their, their parents probably fought for Khomeini and the kids are probably thinking what the hell did, did you, do? you do what exactly. the hell did my parents like exactly Give me, what kind of life is this? Honestly,
0: that boy should be 41 years old at this moment. I, I was looking at... The rest of the people, I could understand what they were doing. This guy, you know, taking the, the, the lion and the sun from the Iranian flag out and sh- waving it in the air, giving it to his son to wave in the air. I was looking at him and I thought, what are you doing? Yeah. What do you think is going to be the future of your son in this country? I always wonder what happens to people after such a thing. Yeah, but you cannot get in touch with them.
1: <laughs> well, I really hope that someday things
0: will turn around in Iran. Like I really, I honestly think that a lot of people, a lot of people will be killed before anything changes because they always have to get people. worse yeah. before they get Very, better. Much worse, because. Uh,
2: also, a lot of people in Iran not only do they want Khomeini gone, but a lot of them don't want the Shah to come back. So maybe a third party has to come in and be like, I,
1: like. I'm the new party. Yeah. Yeah, like an actual president. If if. And not a. Because I think like there are a
2: lot of people who still don't <laughs> want the Shah <laughs> Just back. That. Like as as bad as it is, like there's
1: there's still a lot of people who won't support him. So, like, maybe a third party needs to come in. No, of course. I mean, like, my parents say that, you know, the intellectuals of Iran, they wanted a Soviet takeover. And I, like, instead of Khomeini or the Shah, like, they didn't support the Shah. But what I don't understand is, like, why didn't they just create another party? Because (laughs)
0: because with Khomeini, you couldn't have. Khomeini was already the leader at the time. Before, uh, between the Shah and Khomeini, Communist books were banned in Iran. If they got you reading a book by Marx or any of them, you would definitely end up in Sabak. That was for sure. And when between the time of the Shah and Khomeini, every communist book that you could think under the sun came out in Iran. Every, the place was flooded. I personally read 15 of them. Everything that was on Marx, on communism, I read because it was free now. But as soon as Khomeini took over, all those books were gone. They, they, they just killed whoever they wanted to kill and uh, got rid of whoever they wanted to get rid of and, because Khomeini was in town now. Here comes the king here comes the king oh my god yeah
1: thank you so so much for coming today and speaking with us yeah thank you for taking
2: the time to come thank you for asking we're so excited to have you thank you thank and everyone should go read her book because it's truly
0: inspirational dancing to the darkest light it's good thing it's sold out three times on amazon and wow it's not available but if you go on my website, there is a website that can actually send it to people if they want. So, hey, La Delipore, that's Into the Darkest Light. So, okay, there's we'll the, put we, all the yeah, links. Because it's not available now, so, anymore now for another month, I think. Wow, that's amazing. But yeah, that's good. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Seriously <laughs> Thank amazing. You. <laughs> Thank you. We'll so, we'll, we'll post
2: all the links to make sure our listeners can go to your website and get your book. Thanks. Because I'm sure they'll all be inspired.
0: Thank you. I hope. My job is done. As I said an hour ago, if I can make people think, um, not to change their minds, not to change them as who they are, but if I can make them think that life is the way it is. Life is difficult. Life has challenges. Life has curveballs that throws it. And uh, your response, not the reaction right away, is is the key. And it could still be a beautiful life if you decide for it to be. It's not the end of the world. Nothing is the end of the world. And I think it's a waste of a good life if you do not take the beauty, the beautiful side of it. It's such a waste of life. It's a limited... It, whatever gives our, our, uh, our lives value is that it's so limited. If we were supposed to live forever, there was no value to our lives. Mm-hmm. It gives great value because it's so limited and i think uh, you shouldn't sweat over small things and just enjoy what it is and don't take life so seriously you will never get out of it alive if you do
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well said.
0: <laughs> yeah and as i, I always agree. say and i always say don't wait for the perfect moment take the moment and make it perfect